Welcome to episode 5 of the Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. One reason I brought my podcast back, apart from the obvious fact that I clearly enjoy the sound of my own voice a little too much, was that I wanted to speak to real-life teachers about how they go about their jobs. Each time I meet a fellow teacher or have the privilege of watching someone teach, I'll learn something new. It might be a resource they use, how they plan lessons, how they motivate their students, how they run their department, or something completely unexpected. So I was determined to use this podcast as an excuse to talk to some of my favourite teachers and bloggers to learn from their expertise. First on my list is Jo Morgan. She is a teacher, the creator of the amazing Resourceaholic blog, and a prolific Twitter user. If it was up to me, I would make her regular Math Gems posts compulsory reading for all maths teachers, as they highlight the most interesting, innovative practices and resources out there. I planned to speak to Joe for about an hour, but it turned into a bit of an epic. I asked Joe loads of things, including why did she become a teacher? Why did she start her blog? How does she organise all her resources? How does she plan her lessons? Can she describe a lesson that went badly and what did she learn from it? How is she preparing her students for the new GCSE? And what advice does she have for student teachers or NQTs? And in my brand new podcast feature, what I'm calling the Big Three, Jo suggests three pages on her blog that users should visit. And just before she hung up and threatened to sue me for harassment, Jo hung around to provide us with a lovely podcast puzzle. So please remember to stick around at the end for that. And just a reminder that you can contact me with questions for my future podcast guests on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or via my website and blog, which can be found at MrBartonMaths.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or anywhere else using the info on the podcast page. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy possibly the longest podcast interview in history as I speak to Joe Morgan. See you on the other side, when we'll all be considerably older, but hopefully wiser as well. Okay, so to start the interview, I'd like to ask you, Joe, uh, three math speed dating questions. So let's start off with what is your favourite number and why? Right. Well, I'm I'm really drawn to cube numbers and square numbers. I, I like both those sets of numbers, and I've had to sort of had to think about this. And actually, I'm going to go for I'm going to go for I as my favourite number. Oh, I <laughs> nice choice. <laughs> I was thinking about I do like 64 because it's a cube, a square and a cube. Um, but then I already thought about it and I thought, what do I like when it comes up in a lesson? And I love when I get to teach FP1, which is not very often. Um, I've taught it twice before and I loved the lessons where I got to introduce imaginary numbers. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I remember learning it at school. I remember enjoying being introduced to, to imaginary numbers. And I think what I like about it is that to me it kind of represents a creativity in mathematics or almost a rebellion you know we're told we can't square root negative numbers but yet mathematicians said no actually we can and we're going to come up with a way to do it and I think that's really lovely so I I love um, the reaction 
from students when you teach it. And I think it's a really nice, um, complex numbers are a really nice topic. I haven't got, had the chance to teach them much, but when I do get to teach them, I really enjoy that. So yeah, I'm going to go for I as my favourite number. <laughs> that's, that's a lovely choice, that. Um, how, do you, how do you introduce I for the first time to your students? Gosh, I haven't done it in a while. I suppose... Um, I, I suppose, I thinking back, I think it's through trying to solve a, um, a, quadratic, a quadratic equation that doesn't have any real solutions. And then, you know, you end up with something like, oh, what's the square root of minus four? What are we going to do with that? Um, they say it's impossible. I say, well, actually, it is possible. Um, mathematicians have, have come up with this uh, representation of the square root of minus one. Um, and let's see what we can do with it. And I absolutely love when you start doing that the lesson where you square i and you do i to the power of three and i to the power of four and you look for all those lovely patterns think that's really lovely lovely type of maths really satisfying yeah i i agree i'm, I'm fortunate that i teach fp1 and i've got a, a kid in there who has a, a younger brother in year 11 and he uh he i teach his, his brother as well and whenever i introduced i to him he was winding up his brother left right and center saying all those quadratic equations that he didn't think he could solve actually he's thick and he could have solved them he just needs to know i and all that so it gives them a gives them a bit of power doesn't it when they learn yes, complex numbers for the first time yes uh, excellent choice that well second speed dating question what was your favorite uh topic in maths as a student um i remember at gcse particularly liking simultaneous equations um and i think at the time I, it sounded really complicated the word simultaneous to a teenager is quite a long complicated word and i remember when i could solve a simultaneous equation i thought that i could do something that actually sounded quite tricky. It's the sort of thing that you'd like to say as a teenager, you'd like to say to someone younger, well, I know how to solve these because um, it sounds quite difficult. But actually, when you start solving them, they're so straightforward and so satisfying and so easy to check that you're right. So I remember sort of um, that was a, something in maths that really stood out as um, enjoyable to learn and also just so satisfying and, and a sense of achievement. Uh, you know, this, this is something that sounds quite tricky, but yeah, I can do it. So, yeah. And I love teaching it now as well. Yeah, I was going to say, do you manage to get your kind of love of simultaneous equations across to your kids? Do your kids generally tend to enjoy learning simultaneous equations as well? I, I think of I think of all the topics I teach at GCSE, it's one of those ones where they do tend to quite like it. And it's and it's something that once they get it, they can get quite a lot of marks in an exam quite easily on that. And um, yeah, like I say, it's easy to check they got it right. So yeah, I think um, it's something perhaps perhaps it goes well when I teach it because I enjoy it so much but I just think in general it's it's a quite a nice one for anyone to teach it's quite easy to kind of explain the why it works as well as the sort of the, the algorithm so yeah it's quite nice isn't it it is no one of my faves as well um and my third question for you is what job would you like to do if you weren't a teacher right well I haven't always been a teacher so I used to work in banking and um when I uh, changed career and I became um, a teacher and then I went off and had a baby and when I came back from maternity leave I was told that I couldn't come back part-time so my school said absolutely not you have to be full-time and I was very upset and I thought right well I'm not going to be full-time I refuse I want you know I want to spend some time with my children so I, I actually decided I'd go back to banking so I actually went and interviewed back at the Bank of England which was my first uh, career after university so I suppose what that tells me, thinking back to that experience, I mean, I did end up staying in teaching because my school changed their mind. But that tells me that actually I left my career in banking, but I actually I did quite like some parts of it, particularly when I worked at the Bank of England, which was fascinating. Um, so when I was given the opportunity to change jobs, it was that that I thought I'd go back to. Um, so I think, yeah, if I wasn't a teacher, I probably would go back and do sort of an analyst role in banking because I did always really enjoy that. And I was quite good at that. 
Um, I'd also quite like to be a professional blogger. I, oh. really, <laughs> I really, really love writing my blog. And I think if, if I could get paid to write my blog, plan maths events, um, write resources, stuff like that, then I probably would quite like to do that as well. That's the dream, isn't it? If you get that job <laughs> offer, let me know, because I don't mind that myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, just linked into that then, you, so you, you used to work at the Bank of England, what made yes. you decide to uh, want to become a teacher? Is it, is it something you always wanted to do and did you kind of fall into banking or how did, how did it all Oh no, I, I certainly didn't ever think about being a teacher. In fact, my mum my is this awful person who thinks that uh, terrible things about teachers. She, I was, <laughs> she always says teachers are, you know, she's one of these awful those that can't teach sort of people. So I grew up very much thinking that I, that's n not even a consideration for a career. I've got no teacher in my family and then um, I did a statistics degree at uni and a friend of mine did Teach First and she was the first ever cohort of Teach First it's very different to how it is now um, so we all went off everyone on my degree because we were at UCL and we were doing statistics we all went into banking or accountancy and she was the only one that did something different she went into teaching and very quickly became a head of maths um, and she talked with so much passion about her job and that, I think, was the first time that I really sort of thought, well, actually, maybe she's onto something there, because I'd never considered it before then. Um, and I worked, but I worked in banking for seven years. Um, first of all, the Bank of England, which was brilliant. And then I kind of got a bit greedy and I went off into uh, investment banking or the, the sort of private sector because I was sort of looking for more highly paid jobs. Didn't like that so much. I worked at Barclays where I was working till midnight every night, really, really long hours. Um, and then I went to work at an Australian investment bank, Macquarie, and then um, they made me redundant because everyone lost their jobs in a certain year. It's awful in the city. Everyone was losing their jobs, and that was really depressing. Um, and then I went to work at UBS, and it was during that time that I, I decided to go for teaching. Um, and it was kind of in, there was a there was a moment of inspiration for me, and it was um, I had to go to Pimlico Academy to do a presentation about careers in investment banking. So this was one of these sort of, you know, banks do outreach programs sure. that support local schools. Um, and they wanted someone to go. And it was it was ironic because I was talking to, um, I suppose in hindsight, they may have been year 11. I'm not sure if they were sit for more year 11. But I went and talked to them about careers in investment banking at a time when everyone was losing their jobs in investment banking. And it was really, it felt really... Um, I felt a bit mean standing there and telling them about all these wonderful career opportunities in an industry that was at that time dying. I mean, it's, it's made a recovery a bit now, but at the time it was a terrible place to work. But I went and told them about, you know, what all the sort of opportunities to work in finance. And I'd never spoken to, I, I didn't really like doing presentations very much, and I'd never really spoken to children before. Um, and I remember I did this talk, and they all just looked at me, and I was getting <laughs> nothing back from them, and I thought, this is before. And then at the end, I said, are there any questions? And they asked such good questions, and yeah. that was the turning point, because they all put their hand up. And they, I remember one of them asked, could he make money on the stock market without being a banker like could he make it from his own money and I thought oh, what a clever what a clever question yeah. you know this uh, like he want you know he's these 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 boys they had ideas and they all they were all really ambitious and, you know they were a sort of inner city school um they were um I don't know anything about their their grades and their backgrounds but they they all had a lot of ambition and I got a real buzz from it and I remember they then showed me the teachers showed me around the school and then I went back to work and I'd done my you know thing for the sake of my CV or whatever I was doing it yep. for and I went back to, to work and I thought well I've actually I'm really buzzing from that experience just from the questions they asked at the end and that's that's kind of that was the trigger. So I went off and investigated doing a PGCE. 
Flipping heck. And is that is that buzz still there? Do you think you, you'll always be a teacher, or will, does a part of you think you'll, you'll have another career change at some stage? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think I'm a natural teacher, and I think some people would say there's no such thing as a natural teacher, and I'm not sure, really. But I don't think... Um, I enjoy lots of stuff about it, and I, I do get that, that wonderful satisfaction when, when someone learns something from me, and it's a fantastic feeling. Um, I'm not... I really don't know, because... It's I, like I say. I don't feel that when I'm standing up delivering a lesson, I don't feel that I am absolutely brilliant at it. You know, I think I I think I do an okay job, and I think there's some things about it that I'm very good at doing. Um, like I'm very resourceful, and I'm good at finding resources, and I'm good at reflecting on my lessons. And there's all sorts of things I'm good at. But when I stand up and deliver a lesson, I think, well, you know, I'm I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I'll do this forever because I don't know if it's I don't know if I've found the thing that I'm absolutely brilliant at. So who knows? Um, you know, I still feel quite new to teaching. Even though I've been teaching, I'm in my sixth year now. I have had two babies in that time, so you know, I haven't actually been in the classroom um, for six years, um, and I still feel that I've got an awful lot to learn. You know, I'm really every every lesson I teach, I come out thinking, well, you know, I could have done a lot of stuff differently there. Absolutely, and that, that's the thing with teaching. I know it's a big cliche to say, but you, everyone's always learning, right? And you, yeah. you, you, you never master it. No, that, that's absolutely right. Well, um, aside from teaching, obviously you've got your blog on the go. Now, um, I've mentioned in my introduction to this podcast how I kind of stumbled across the blog, and it's it's massive these days, right? It's probably, I mean, do you have any kind of uh, statistics on how many people are visiting the blog or what, what some of your most popular posts are or anything like that? Um. Well, I went past my half a million um, views the other day, and I was oh, very pleased. Oh, nice! That Congratulations! Milestone. Yeah, very good. Yeah, that was good. exciting. I mean, I've had it. I've been running it for a year and a half now. Um, I just see it's difficult because you don't. I don't know. I think. I think it it does quite well. I think I did a post last week on new GCSE content. Yes. Um, and that one that's had a couple of thousand views, which is a bit quicker than. Um, I normally get normally I'd get sort of um, a thousand views in a week of a good post, but that one's done particularly well. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I, I, there are some there are some posts I've written, like the one I wrote about Shanghai, which was last year, and I, I just sort of I went to a maths hub launch, and I got some um, just some ideas about some of the things that um, the, the ideas that were coming out of Shanghai, um, and that post has probably had about six thousand reads, and, and I'm very proud of that post um, because it's. It was a bit controversial, but but people got a lot of ideas from it, and people felt quite inspired when they read it. So that was one of my sort of really ones I was particularly proud of. But um, I suppose the thing about my blog is, compared to other blogs, is that some you know some blogs are just people writing their reflections and their opinions, whereas my website gets um, hits for people that are also looking for resources because I've got my resource library there as well. So I think um, you know that does bring traffic to my website. So I have, you know, I think um, I get a fair amount of people that come to my website looking for resources when they're planning lessons. Um, and in particular, I think my A-level, my A-level pages are starting to become a bit better known. I know that probably if you ask most maths teachers in the country where they could get A-level resources, then they probably never heard of my website. But I think it's starting to, to get out there a little bit. So I'm starting to get a bit more traffic to those pages. Fantastic. And can you just give, give the listeners an idea um, of why, why did you start blogging in the first place? What was it that compelled you to want to share resources and share your thoughts? Um, I read a blog post and I can't remember if I was specifically looking for it or I just sort of stumbled across it. But it was um, about how to multiply two matrices. 
Um, you should know when you do matrix multiplication and it's being able to sort of keep track of what you multiply by what and it gets a little bit complicated. And this was a blog post that said that if you just write the two matrices next to each other and then move one of them down. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I, read this, um, I read this blog post and I went into school and I said to my colleagues, I've seen a new way of multiplying matrices and I think it's, it's worth teaching this because they're going to get less confused and I think the students will quite like it. So I sort of showed my colleagues and they quite liked it too. And then I thought, isn't it a shame that, you know, not many people know about this particular method? So that was my first ever blog post. It was it was sharing that method. So it was just something I'd read on another blog and I thought, right, I'm going to put this on my blog. And I originally was going to do a blog of just um, sort of tricks, you know, things yes. like that, uh, uh, alternative ways of teaching things that people might not have heard sure. of. I didn't really think anyone would read it, but I thought, you know, it's a good place to sort of keep um, keep these ideas in one place. So that was the idea. Um, and then when I started writing the blog and I started getting a few people reading it, um, I think I wrote one post where, oh, I found a new website and it had resources for, I think it was complex numbers. And I wrote a post where I was sort of sharing those resources. And I thought, oh, actually, you know, I've got a lot of resources that people might not have seen. Maybe this is what I should do with this website. So I should make it a resource-based website. Because at that time, it was called massteachingtips.blogspot. Oh, right. And then okay. I changed it. Yeah, so I decided it would become a resource-based website. And I changed it to Resourceaholic to sort of reflect the fact that I really love math resources so um yeah so that's how it kind of evolved but you know i, I suppose when you when anyone starts a blog they, they don't sort of think oh anyone's going to read this um but i i definitely twitter came after i started the blog so it came about two three weeks later because someone said you know if you're writing a blog you really should promote it somewhere and twitter is the place to do it so i didn't hadn't ever considered joining twitter then um but whereas a lot of people do it the other way around, a lot of people are on Twitter sharing ideas with teachers and then they think, well, maybe I'll start writing a blog. Whereas for me, it was um, let's start the blog and then oh, where should I promote that? And then some, yeah, someone said, well, Twitter is the place to be. So it all went from there. Well, that's a beautiful, seamless segue into my questions on Twitter, actually. So <laughs> I did going very well this. Um, so if you've got teachers listening to this podcast who um, haven't been on Twitter, why would you recommend teachers use twitter how should they get started and, and what is it kind of good for in terms of maths teaching i i totally understand anyone that, that is doesn't want to join twitter because i think before i joined it i had this impression that it was people tweeting every minute of their day what they have for breakfast all this really boring stuff i had an image in my head that twitter is a place for people who just want to talk about themselves a lot and i had no idea that there was this whole professional development part of twitter um, so when I joined, you know, the sort of standard thing is you join and it suggests you follow sure. BBC News and all that. Um, and then sort of very quickly, I kind of unfollowed those pages because my Twitter is 100 percent maths teaching. You know, I, I sort of I, I don't I don't use it for anything else. I don't use it for any personal reasons. I'm just there for my maths teaching CPD. Um, and I suppose I started following kind of, you know, the 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 big tweeters who it's quite easy to find because um, they're tweeting a lot. And I realized that they were sharing blog posts. I'd never really read maths blogs before then, but they were sharing blog posts that were giving me ideas, um, giving me resources, um, giving me information. Um, so I was sort of, uh, as soon as I joined Twitter, I was then going to school and saying, oh, um, I know this about the new GCC or I know this about the curriculum or I know this about, um, oh, I saw this resource or this idea. I remember the, have you seen the 
the trick for convert for Fibonacci and converting from miles and miles into kilometers. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that rings a bit of a bell. But go so on, you, tell you know, me if you if you write out the Fibonacci sequence and it's you know one one two three five eight etc. Yeah. Uh, if you if you were to take a number and divide it by the previous number, so for example eight divided by five. Yeah. That's giving you, you know, eight kilometers is five miles. So it's giving you the conversion from kilometers to miles because the golden ratio is so similar to the ratio for converting ah, kilometers to miles. Nice, so for example, nice. 18 kilometers is eight miles. And you know, that's the two numbers in the Fibonacci sequence. So it's things like that where I was reading them on Twitter and going to school and saying, wow, I saw this really cool thing on Twitter. And I felt like suddenly I was full of interesting maths and interesting lesson ideas and you know, all sorts of things. And I was going to school with all these ideas and suddenly school became more fun. And I was sort of had more to talk to my colleagues about and say, oh, wow, I saw this on Twitter. Have you ever heard of this? And, and that was so that it's, it's really lovely for, for that kind of thing. Um, and there are, you know, it depends who you follow, but there are sort of people debating slash arguing about various things. Um, and if you, you can sort of get dragged into debates and and uh, disagreements and lots of opinion sharing but you don't you can kind of ignore all that and you can be there just for the ideas and just for the resources and the sort of inspiration and the and the enthusiasm you know I, I think I, I love teaching so much more since I joined Twitter because everyone on there is just so full of not everyone most people on there <laughs> are so full of enthusiasm and um, for example I went when was it last term I went to on a Saturday night I went to the theatre with my husband and we saw Festival of the Spoken Nerd which is Matt Parker's yes. um, excellent um, sort of maths comedy show now before I joined Twitter I never would have done things like that you know this is the sort of thing where I see people on Twitter that are going to these things and talking about these things and it's giving me this inspiration and it's making me a totally different um, you know so much more into my subject so, yeah, that was a bit waffly, but <laughs> in summary, loads of ideas, loads of inspiration, um, but also lots of information as well. So it's just there's so much there for maths teachers. And I remember I said this to my boss. This was in my previous school. I said, you know, you really need to get on Twitter. It's totally changing my perspective on things. And he said, well, you know, I just don't have time. And that's understandable. He said, oh, I wish there was I wish there was someone who would just summarize the best stuff from Twitter. <laughs> And I said, well, funnily enough, just last week I started writing a new series of posts where I summarise the best stuff on Twitter, and that's my gems post. So I'm kind of, for people that don't want to join Twitter, I kind of feel like I'm doing a little bit of a service to, to non-tweeters by collecting the best stuff in my gems post. Absolutely, and I think there's there's a couple of things to take from that. Firstly, if you're a teacher who's never joined Twitter and you want a good place to start, then seeing as you're just following essentially the best maths tweeters if they go to your profile um, at maths jam and click on your following list and just basically nick all those and start following those that'll give them already a kind of best of the maths tweeters list you know what i follow over 2000 people well, flipping out yes, the problem was when i first joined i thought i'm gonna follow any maths teacher so any maths teacher that i come across or that follows me yes. i will follow them and then i thought after a while i thought it's getting a bit out of hand you know my timeline is ridiculous and i thought right now i'm just going to follow uk maths yes. maths teachers um but still um now i can't people follow me and i can't follow them back because i just can't it's gone out of control <laughs> um whereas there are some people um like for example ed Southall, who's uh solved my maths on twitter yes. he follows a lot less people and i say to him how how do you how can you only follow a few hundred people because aren't you missing out on stuff and he says actually he knows that I'll retweet 
the stuff from the 2,000 people I follow <laughs> that he wants to see. So he kind of uses me as filtering stuff. So I follow loads of people. I retweet the, the stuff that I think is great, and he gets to see it through following me. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I wouldn't recommend following everyone I follow, but certainly um, certainly a lot of the people that I write about in my gems posts and stuff like that are people that I would recommend following. And how long are you putting on Twitter kind of per day? Do you have a set, set amount of time or a set? time of the day where you have a look at twitter um no i am i am on it an awful lot i mean i do check it when i wake up in the morning um and try and reply to anything that i've been asked overnight or um, anyone has if anyone says something nice to me i will try and reply to it in the morning um so but my most of the time i spend on it is obviously in the evening when i get in from work and i mean to be honest i'd say on an average night i'm on twitter for an hour or two (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's addictive though that's the thing isn't it you just nip on for a few minutes and then you can just follow a trail it's absolutely terrible when you know you get these kids who are trying to you know doing their homework and they're distracted by their phone or their computer (laughs) and and i think well with me now when i mark my marking takes twice as long because between every question i check my twitter so yeah it is, it's very addictive for, for I, I mean I'm an, I, to be honest I've got a bit of an addictive personality when I get into something if I really like something then I really you know I really go for it so you know I absolutely love Twitter so I do probably spend more time on there than a lot of people do um, and I really love um, participating in conversations and also just seeing what everyone's talking about and I do I don't like to miss anything I think also because I write my gems posts I do worry about missing something important so I feel like I have to read everything (laughs) and what happens is that if I spot something that I think is is going to be useful I might want to um, add it to my resource library or write about it in the gems post and as soon as I spot it I click on um, you know on my phone I'll say message it to myself and I'll I'll email it to my own account yes and then there'll be a a couple every couple of days I'll go through my home emails and just you know pick out the bits that I want to keep and and so that's kind of how I cope with with the sort of huge amount of of tweets that I'm seeing you know I pick the best ones and email them to myself straight away well yeah let's just pick up on that actually because this was a question that came in uh, via flash maths on twitter and this is one I get asked quite a bit um how do you keep track and organize all your resources because you we've now got we're at the stage where we've got powerpoints worksheets but then all these online resources that come from twitter that come from blogs can you just talk us through um what what does your computer system look like essentially your folder structure how how are all your resources organized and how do you go about tracking them down um i think when i plan lessons i so i'll have say for example i have a folder on my my documents at work i have a folder for year 10 folder for um the topic i'm on so for example it might be labeled for algebra because it might be the fourth topic i'm doing in the year for example and then within that folder i've got each lesson labeled so lesson so i'll have like um one my powerpoint and then one and the worksheet so so i've labeled them in order so i'm trying i've got better at this over the years and i did write a post where i shared some screenshots of my um my folder structure and it was a post called um something like advice for nqts um now that means because I label them because I label everything like that. Let's say next year I'm planning a post. Uh, sorry, planning a lesson on um, simultaneous equations for year ten. Then I should be able to look back to the previous year, year ten, simultaneous equations, and it's all there. So I can see the order that I taught that topic in, every PowerPoint I used, every resource I used. So it should all be there, and then I can either reuse it or I can adapt it. So that's sort of over the years that has developed so that now I, I know exactly what I did in the previous year because I've sort of labelled it well enough. Um, 
Now, what's happened, though, is that I've moved school and none of my lessons work anymore. <laughs> and this is, this is really difficult. I feel like an NQT again. Yes. Because my, um, my previous school was a grammar school, a girls' grammar school, and my new school was a boys' comprehensive. And um, nothing, none of my lesson structures and resources are really working. You know, when I first joined the school, I tried to use things I'd used before and my lessons just weren't working. So I'm having to sort of plan everything from scratch now, which means that I do sort of glance back at what I'd done in previous years. But now I'm actually just um, going straight to my blog. So I go to resourceaholic.com and check what I've got listed for each um, topic when I'm planning a lesson. And if I can't find a good resource there, then I'm going to sort of Don Stewart and places like that. So, um, yes, it's I think oh, now that means that next year I, for this school, I should have a good, well-organized <laughs> set of resources that I can reuse. I think that's one of the hardest things is when, you know, when I look back at my the way I organize things in my first year teaching, um, it wasn't that helpful. And I did find it very difficult to sort of uh, repeat lessons the next year because I wasn't organized enough. You know, I'd go online and print something directly from the internet and use it in the lesson. But now I wouldn't do that. Now I would save it to the correct folder so that next year I know exactly what I used. Because, you know, if you're just sort of printing directly from, from things you're opening on the internet, then you're going to forget what you used when you go back to look at that lesson next year. I so think it's... I think you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's it's um, any time I mentor PGC students or NQTs, it's the first thing I say is you've got you've got to get your resources organised. Yeah. I adopt something very similar. I have all I, I have every lesson I've ever taught um, in a folder structure so I can find it. So if I'm teaching adding fractions to a, a middle set year nine class, I'll yeah. think when was the last time I had a middle set year nine class, yeah. and then I just find that lesson on fractions, and that's that's always a good a good place to start, and then I yes. can add add new stuff that's come in and I think there's a lot to be said for organizing in terms of the classes that you've taught in the past because obviously a, a lesson on adding fractions pitched to a top set year 11 is going to be completely different to one pitched to a, a middle to bottom set year eight so I think yeah organizing by class I think there's yes. yeah a lot to be said for that um, yes. and my other my other piece of advice I don't know if you'll agree with this or not but um, I, I and I experienced this when I moved move schools myself which I'll tell you what is, is flipping underrated for how tough moving schools oh, is. I, yeah. I don't think I'll ever be doing yeah. that again um, <laughs> is um, I say to teachers, uh, we, we have um, Promethean boards in our school, but I say, if at all possible, do, do not design or save your lessons on specific whiteboard software, purely because if you move schools, your lessons are absolutely useless. Yeah. So with all its flaws that PowerPoint has, I try and get as much as I can on, on PowerPoint. I is that something you'd agree with, or do you, do you prefer yeah. the kind of... I, I do everything on PowerPoint. My previous school was Promethean. My new school is Smartboard. All my colleagues use SmartBoard um, software, and I do find I do I can see advantages to that. Sure. But you know, it's not like I can't. You know, I can write on my PowerPoint slides with the SmartBoard pens. It's not like I can't do yes, things like exactly. that. Yes, um, exactly. And um, everything I structure the way that I plan lessons is using um, PowerPoint. So you know, I'll um, every every thing I'm doing in my lesson is in my PowerPoint yes. slides because it's it's my it's my way of me knowing what my plan is. You know, I, I'm exactly the same. Plan. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, you know some people would be horrified to to think you know they think oh death by PowerPoint, yep. but no, no, that's not that's not what I'm doing. I don't have my um, you know when I go through an example, I have the the question on the PowerPoint. And then on, on you know, with, I write on, on the whiteboard how to do that question. So it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm just clicking through all my teaching and it's like, you know, it's all, you know, I'm using 
PowerPoint so that I have the example written up at the board that I want to go through so that I have the instruction, now do the worksheet written on the board. Um, and yeah, so the whole thing is structured through PowerPoint, but it's certainly not sort of slides full of text or whatever people imagine as being a bad thing about PowerPoint. You, you, you know what, that, I, I'm, I'm glad you're saying this. That's exa- exactly what I do. And I remember, I didn't do that my first few years of teaching. I, I would try and get everything on the PowerPoint. So if I was doing a worked example of, I don't know, let, let's say um, solving an equation with X on both sides or something, I'd spend about an hour the night before getting all the all the animations and using equation editor to get every step of this um, solution for this worked example laid out absolutely beautiful on the slide. And then, of course, the problem is if you if you put the example up and you say, right, what's the first step here? And a student says a correct first step, but isn't the exact first yeah. step that you've had. You screwed. You you, yeah. you slides an absolute waste of time. So yeah. yeah, that's a massive piece of advice that again I often give to students. And I think if we we can say this out loud here on the podcast, if, if any t- uh, trainee teachers that are listening, I'm certainly in favour of planning just one. Put on the PowerPoint slide one question, leave the mm-hmm. rest of the slide blank, yeah. and there you're good to go. Then you're flexible you're ready you can get the kids up at the board and you're not you're not forced down that fixed kind of way that you, you've got it planned you, you you're open to what happens in the lesson yeah yes. absolutely absolutely yes. um i don't know if you do this as well this is something that i, I learned off a trainee teacher and i thought this was good but I, I i always forget he um at the end of each lesson he saves the powerpoint with the scribbles on it that he's written so he then has two versions he has the blank one that he planned and then he has the one saved with all his pen markings on it so that when he comes to plan it next year or whenever he comes to use that lesson again he can almost has kind of an extra record of in more detail how the lesson went and he can mm. add bits and take that out i think that's quite good practice that's a really nice idea yeah. i mean i think my i'm my writing is illegible i'm and actually i'm um, due to uh boards being so the the technology at my school often doesn't work so if i can i normally write on a proper whiteboard as in not an interactive whiteboard so that but but i do love that idea and yes it is good to look back at um exactly what you ended up writing in the lesson i think a really nice tip for nqts or no trainee teachers when you first um when you first start uh, uh delivering lessons at the end of the lesson you sort of stand at the back of the class and look at what you wrote on the board because yeah. i'm often horrified by <laughs> what the look like um, my new school has very small um normal whiteboard space so we have an interactive whiteboard and then to the side we have a very small board for writing on and i was doing i can't ask doing a topic with year oh i had to do oh it's really it's really dull i was doing um s2 with year 13 and i had to do a proof of the variance of the continuous uniform distribution anyway so it's a long proof and it, it needs a lot of board space and there's no way I could fill it on this whiteboard. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose in that case, I should be writing on the interactive whiteboard. But my handwriting is even worse on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely relate to that one as well. And can I just ask you a question, just picking up on something you said before. Um, wh- why was it that your lessons didn't work as well in this new school as they did in your previous school? Can you can you give any reasons for that? When I first joined, it was to do with the, um, the type of students I was teaching in that um, I'd only taught... Um, very high attaining students um, who move very quickly through things and then I moved and then in my first half term at my new school because I started in June I was teaching kind of quite low sets where um, 
I just I had to explain things very differently. And the one that I really remember was I was told to teach volume of a cuboid in year seven. This was in my first couple of weeks in my new school. And um, I thought, right, so in my previous school, I just would have done it by saying you multiply the three the three yeah. lengths together. You know, I didn't need to, you know, I could sort of show them the conceptual stuff. But, you know, I just had to show it and then get them to do the practice. Whereas here, I thought, right, now I'm going to start with counting, um, counting the little cubes inside the cuboid and, and we'll go from there. And I remember I got them to count the cubes. And there was a picture of a cuboid on the board split into the little cubes and they had to just count how many there were and they couldn't do that. You know, they were counting faces, so they were <laughs> double counting and they I just I was so surprised that they couldn't count. Um, you know, they were that they were double counting and I and, and that it just made me think, right, what I should have done here was brought along some multi-link cubes yes. and actually got them doing it physically. But I'd never had the need to do that before because my previous students in fact, my previous students, I didn't even need to teach them that topic because they yeah. <laughs> were in primary school, you know. So, you know, I've never, I've never taught things like multiplication before because I taught at a grammar school where they, they were brilliant at that when they came in. I didn't even have to do a lesson on it. So a lot of um, that was a lot of the problem was it was just a different level. But then I found this term, I'm teaching top set year 10. So, so they are kind of equivalent to a middle to bottom set year 10 in my previous school Bless is, heck, yeah right. yeah i know so i think at my previous school i taught in my the year 10 class i was teaching was set four out of eight and they were definitely um well ahead of my my new top set so Jeez. that's sort of a good comparison um but they love i love teaching um the top set year 10 at my new school they're really they're really bright they're really lovely they're really keen um, but I can't do the same type of lessons because uh, I don't know if this is because they're boys or just because of what they used to. But at my previous school, I would do introduction. I would do um, explanation, some examples, and then here's a worksheet, half an hour practice. Right. Now, at my new school, they need smaller chunks of, of right. activities. So they might need here's a couple of examples. Now you do a few examples. Um, now I'll do something else and you do a few more. Um, and then we might do a sort of a 15 minute um, independent worksheet, but it's definitely smaller chunks. And, and my, my whole lesson structure from my previous school just doesn't really work very well. You That's know, interesting. Yeah, it? it is. Is how it boys maybe? I don't know. So sorry, your school at the moment, is it all boys? Is it's that all right? boys, yeah. I see. And how long are your lessons? They're an hour, same as my last school. Same. Yeah. That's interesting, but a completely different structure. That's, that's yeah, yeah. And I just genuinely find that you know, like I might do um, with my year 11s. They're all sort of working at a B, sort of C or a B at the moment. So again, I haven't ever taught year 11s working at a C or a B. I've never taught a year 11 that's working at below an A before. So this is all new to me. Um, so I will, I will do um, you know some examples and a t um, uh, an explanation. Get them to do some practice, and then I'll do some more stuff. And get them to do some more practice whereas so i'm sort of splitting my lesson into two mini lessons yes. compared to my previous school where it was just one big long lesson another thing that i'm finding really funny is and i don't know if this is just um just some particular boys but i used to i could hand out a worksheet one between two at my previous school and that right. and and they would they would work on that just to save printing money yes they would work on the questions individually but they would be sharing the worksheet and at my new school this really made me laugh i handed out a worksheet one between two and i spotted some boys doing um right you do all the even questions <laughs> 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 no, nice. that's not how it works you're just sharing a worksheet it's not meant to be half the work <laughs> so things like that i have to just sort of get used to and adjust for it's really it's 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 quite it's interesting and, and i i am loving it 
Um, but it is the change is is very um, notable. And have you found anything um, with, say, group work that perhaps you could do it at your previous school, but you can't as much at your current school? Or is it is it something that you buy into anyway? Um, no, I'm not a fan of group work in general in maths. I, I'm, I think at my previous school, maybe I would have done it um, occasionally, and I have never done it at my new school. I've not yet had a go at that. And bearing in mind that behaviour management is all very new to me, and that I didn't have to do it really at all. There was a bit of chatting at my last. Yes. That was it. Um, I, I gave. Uh, I worked there five years and gave one detention. <laughs> and that, that was for a mobile phone automatic detention. Um, at my new school, I am having to do more behaviour management, and. Um, I'm actually very lucky with my timetable this year. I've got some some really nice classes, but um, I would be a little bit conscious of um, group work. I would maybe lose a bit of control of that at the moment. So I think potentially if I have my, my current year 10s for the whole two years and we get into a stage where I can really trust them and, uh, you know, maybe I'll start trying uh, occasional group things. But in general, I don't know if it's the best way of learning anyway. I'm not convinced by it. So sure. you know that, that typical scenario where, um, what is it? One does all the work and one kind of pretends he's doing all the work and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I, I don't know. Um, a pair, pair work, I'm I like, but not necessarily any more than two. I see. No, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? If it when it works well, group work, it is it's the, it's the best thing. Kids learning off each other, discussing and all that. But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of a lot of things that can go wrong with it. A lot of the uh, yeah potential costs outweigh the benefits. Sometimes yeah. I, I agree with that. And um, we touched on this this question a little bit earlier on, but I wonder if you could just go into a bit more detail. And um, could you pick perhaps a lesson that you've got coming up maybe tomorrow? I mean, we're recording this on a Sunday or maybe later in the week, and just talk us through your process of how you would go about planning that lesson. Where will be the places you'd go for resources, and are there any features? that are regular in your lessons perhaps the way you start your lessons or the way you end your lessons or something that's a regular feature would you be able to just give us a sense of how you go about putting a lesson together um yeah i do have regular features in my lessons and i think routine is is very important so i um I always have a, a starter activity that's on the board when they arrive preferably also handed out to them on paper to encourage them to do it um and that normally is a recap of something I've done in the previous lesson. Um, or it's just something that they will need. It's like a prerequisite for the stuff they're going to learn. So, for example, let me think what am I teaching tomorrow? I'm teaching direct proportion to year 10. Nice. Yeah, I, I quite like that. And, um, and I, I'm trying to do inverse proportion in the same lesson, but I'm not sure. So, yeah, I have, it's one of these lessons. It's unusual for me to not know exactly what I'm going to do in the lesson because I'm definitely not one of these teachers that can just turn up and and teach without having thought about it you know I have got colleagues who are very good at that they can walk into a classroom and just start teaching without having done a huge amount of planning um whereas I, I really do need to know exactly what I'm going to do so the fact that tomorrow I'm not sure if I'm going to do inverse proportion of the lesson or not I'm going to see how we get on in the lesson that's quite unusual for me um, so I have planned to involve, to include all of that. So my PowerPoint extends to, to inverse proportion as well. And I'm trying to think what my starter is. I think my starter is a tricky ratio question where it's one where they the last lesson that we did some ratio stuff um, and I've managed to find quite a nice extension question um, which kind of uses what they did last lesson but makes them think a bit. Um, I need a starter that's long enough that's going to... Um, I don't want anyone to finish before everyone's turned up. We have a bit yes. of a, 
we have a bit of a lesson interchange issue at my school in that we've just <laughs> a brand new building which is a too far away so some of them it depends where they're coming from so some of them might arrive 10 minutes after the rest which is causing you know is, is changing the way I plan my starters so I need a starter that's long enough that you know people are turning up and and you know we haven't finished the starter and where have um, you where have you got that starter from um I think in this particular one, I've, I think is actually one of the new GCC questions. So because I've got a year 10 class, I am sort of trying out some sure. some new GCC stuff. So I, th- I can't remember exactly what I've got here, but I think I've probably got it from possibly one of the AQA Bridging the Gap resources or something like that. So, yeah, I, I've, I've chosen something that's specifically um, new GCSE. So normally I'll have for my starter... Just one or two questions. Or, for example, I taught year seven last week. I don't. I only teach. I don't teach Key Stage three. I don't really like it, to be honest. <laughs> but I teach um, one a fortnight. I teach one year seven a fortnight, and that is it for my whole Key Stage right. three teaching. And I was teaching them um, multiplying algebraic terms, and their their normal teacher had already done um, adding, you know, collecting like terms. So my starter was just five collecting like term questions. So that's the sort of thing I do. It's nothing. Yes. Nothing exciting. It's normally just this is what we did last lesson. Let's let's recap that, and you are going to need to know this for this lesson. That kind of sure. Um, yeah, and then like I say, I will base it all on. I'll have a PowerPoint that structures the whole thing. So um, after the starter, we'll normally do um, you know introduce a new concept, uh, explanation from me. If there's any new keywords, then I talk about the etymology, and I'll get them to have a think about it. Like before Christmas, we did a lesson on horizontal and vertical lines with my year tens. So I got them to think about where the word horizontal might have come from, and they were all straight away. They said, "You know the word horizon," so that was good. We talked a bit about that. So if I can do that, then I will in my in my teaching. I like love talking about vocabulary, um, and then I'll do you know some examples. I'll I'll do questioning during my examples, get them to offer some ideas, um, and then I'll normally get them to do like I said, I'll get them to do a few. A few questions um, and then I'll do maybe a bit more teaching, a few questions, and then I'll give them a resource, which is normally Don Stewart. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) He comes up a lot in my lessons, particularly my year 10 lessons. Um, um, Or, yeah, there's so many places I get resources. All my, uh, most of my favourite ones are listed on my blog, so I'll just go there and then it links me off to the various places. Um, I love maths pad stuff. I do get a lot of stuff from Tez as well. So, yeah, um, I, I, that's something I'm quite good at is finding appropriate resources. And how long would you spend planning a lesson on average? Oh, well, I spend far too long. <laughs> I, I think I think probably... So I'm teaching a lesson on the sign rule tomorrow with my year 11s, and I'm actually, for the first time in a long time, using a lesson that I've used before, and I didn't have to change it very much because it's just the sign rule, one lesson on that, and it's um, the lesson that I taught on it previously was kind of structured in the right kind of way for my new school. So yes. that one probably took me about 20 minutes to plan because I just had to find the previous year's stuff and just tweak it a little bit. Right. Um, whereas a lesson um, that most of my lessons at the moment, I'd say are taking me a good hour to plan, which is a killer. Flipping heck. And that's just because I've changed school, though. So it shouldn't really. Right. Be, it should be. It should be 20 minutes. But it's at the moment, it's it's really taking me a long time so i'm finding i'm finding workload to be quite difficult at the moment i bet you are well that's yeah that's something we'll definitely we, we can have a joint moan about that later on because that's definitely something <laughs> i want to touch upon and um, if we can just talk to you about a um, bit more about lessons if that's all right would you be able to um pick a recent lesson or one that's in in your memory that that went particularly well and can you think about why it went well and what you kind of learned from it um 
you know, I've, I'm actually, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a particular one because, like I say, since I've changed school, I don't think I've got it totally figured out yet. So all my sort of really good lessons I could think of were ages ago at my last school. Um, I taught, I taught sequences last term to my year 10, so new GCC sequence content. And I'd say I can't pick a particular lesson, but I'd say that that sequence of lessons on sequences <laughs> was particularly, um, was just generally went well. And that was because... I had done so much research into what the new content was and I'd looked at so many resources, which was all part of me writing my blog, I suppose, yes. I had to do that, um, that that meant that I really stood up at the front of that class thinking, I know this topic so well, I know exactly what sort of questions to ask um, and that's why it went well. And also I was really, you know, I kept going on about how, oh, this is new, I've not taught this before, isn't this exciting? So I think they probably, I was excited about teaching it and I think they picked up on that. And I think that I absolutely know, 100% sure, that everyone in that class knows the difference between a arithmetic, uh, a geometric and a quadratic sequence and all that sort of thing. They That was all really good. I'd say that probably about half that class could find the nth term of a quadratic sequence because they found that really difficult. But um, but I, so it didn't it wasn't all brilliant. But I think in general, um, I, I suppose what went well there was that I really knew my content. I really knew the, the topic. Um, I really knew what the good questions to ask were. Um, and, and I think they could pick up on the fact that I was excited about teaching it. Ah, that's that's really interesting. And well, the flip side to that, of course, is can you think of a lesson recently that you taught that didn't go according to plan, um, and you walked out thinking, God, that that was a bit of a mess, that one. And can you kind of pinpoint the reasons why it didn't go so well, and, and what you learned from that? Um, my year 11s are really difficult at the moment because my school does linked pair. Oh yeah. So we are doing double the GCSEs, so do two GCSEs, but we only have three lessons a week, so we don't have any more time than other schools. Flipping heck. Uh, yeah, and it's, and it's so much extra content, and I'm quite, I just don't understand what they're thinking. It's no. <laughs> just, I, don't, I don't know how I'm meant to teach so much content in, in the normal amount of lessons that other schools get, because, you know, it's, um, I'm teaching applications, so it's split into methods and applications. And I was told, right, in, in last term, I have to teach the whole of Applications 1. Now, there's a lot of stuff on there that I've not taught before. Um, linear programming, um, there's uh, flowcharts, spreadsheets, loads of stuff. So I had to go off and learn those topics to deliver them. And I know that I won't ever teach them again because new GCSE yep. is obviously replacing that uh, linked pair pilot. Now, what I was finding was, I, I said to my colleagues, there's no way I'll get through all this. They had their mock in December, and I knew I wouldn't have taught all the topics that would be on the paper. And to, that made me so uncomfortable, because yes. I feel that it's, it's just like sort of someone sitting an English exam and having read the wrong book. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but, you know, it's, you sort of, when you're a student, you trust that your teacher will know the content of the exam and teach you everything that you need to know for this. Mm, yes. And I think that to go and then sit a, admittedly it was only a mock, but to sit in a mock exam and there'd be questions on topics they'd never seen before, to me that wasn't okay. Now my colleagues disagreed and, and what they were doing was they were picking some key topics and just teaching those and teaching those well. Yes. I said, no, I want, I want them to have covered everything, even if it's a bit rushed and it's not my fault it's rushed this is not my decision to to have to rush it but i i feel that it's important they've seen everything um it's rushed because we don't have enough time to teach it so i and i did so i was having to teach things really quickly 
And it's actually quite awful to do that. And then now in hindsight, I think, God, that was that was really bad. So I remember um, they'd never seen stem and leaf before. This is year 11. So I taught stem and leaf in about five minutes. I just (laughs) didn't have time to do a lesson on it. And then I said, right, we're going to do we're going to do comparisons of two blocks, uh, box plots. We're going to write, you know, compare a measure of center, compare measure of spread um, and, and write and write that in context. And um, and I didn't have time to do a lesson on that, so I just showed them one example, yeah. and I think I did it as a starter. So they had a go, and then I said, no, this is what should be in your answer, and that was it. Now, in the mock exam, one of those came up, and it was a six-mark question, and none of them got it. None of them could remember that um, what they were meant to put in that answer. None of them remembered they were meant to compare the medians. None of them remembered they were meant to talk about spread. So they all they all got maybe one mark, if that, on that question. And what that really goes to show is the importance of practice. Yes. You know, a student can't just hear a teacher tell them what to do and then remember that. It was only two weeks later, their mock. But no, they need to actually practice these things and they need to, it needs to be, you know, an actual, a set amount of time for them to sit down and practice a load of questions where they're writing those comparisons. Otherwise, they just won't remember. Um, and I think that, so, so even though, again, I haven't given you a definite lesson, but in general, my rushed teaching is is awful and and i need to think this term i'm teaching applications too and i've only got a term to teach an entire an entire module um and i need to really think about this am i going to skip topics or am i going to carry on with the rushing and i think that's something i still need to think about and i think you've you've hit upon a key one there and i'm certainly guilty of this that that the need for practice and it sounds an obvious thing to say but like i'll teach a lesson and i'll think flipping heck i've nailed that explanation that was an absolute beautiful Mm. explanation there and the kids at the time are like nodding along and obviously they're copying down the example and all that yeah but unless those kids have an opportunity to sit down for a good hour or two hours or whatever and hammer through questions on their own you've no idea whether they've understood it or not and as you say the explanation takes you so far gets them about half the way there but then they need that dedicated time either on their own or talking to another student or something to, to hammer it out and I, I've, I've been in that situation myself when you, you, you're running out of time to cover the syllabus uh, syllabus, and you're just banging through the topics mm. and, and I convince myself that they're getting it because I'm explaining it pretty well but mm. you're absolutely right there is no substitute for students just hammering through and practicing stuff on their own I think yeah. that's absolutely right mm-hmm. yeah um, if I can just turn our attention now just to GCSE, and again you've touched on this um, a little bit already, but if we can just take the, the current GCSE, which is obviously in its in its final run through, um, how how do you or at your school um, prepare your students, uh, your Year 11s, for the GCSE? Is there anything in particular you do in these final few months where most of the content's been covered for revision? Is there any kind of special tricks you have up your sleeve, or any revision programs you put in place, or any definite structure to revision lessons that seems to prove effective um so i can't speak for my current school because i've only just joined but my previous school we we did sort of finish teaching this the specification around sort of february half term so we had quite a lot of time of revision lessons um and actually a couple of things one was to absolutely spend time reteaching some of the key stage three fundamentals um, because, you know, it was very tempting, especially at that school where all my students were working at an A&A star level, it was very tempting just to sort of revise those topics um, and actually spending some time going back through things that we hadn't looked at in the last couple of years was always incredibly important. So I'd actually have some lessons where I'm reteaching what I used to call overlooked topics. Um, 
And so, you know, or topics that, that like something like low kind constructions, I hate teaching that. And I think other <laughs> teachers don't like it either. And because of that, it's kind of, it's not taught very well because it's always sort of, you know, no one really wants to do it. So, so that's the sort of thing that I would actually spend a lesson on, um, in that sort of revision time of year. Um, in terms of, you know, I've got so many lovely revision activities. I wrote a blog post about this, I think, last summer, um, GCSE revision activities. And there was loads of really fantastic ones in there. You know, people produce really great stuff. Um, I think what's really interesting, and I find this with my year, my year 13s, when I said to them, um, so say I've got a boy who got a D in his, um, in his AS, and he's been allowed to continue into A2. And I said, right, let's just talk about how, why did you get a D? Um, did you do past papers? And he said, no. I said, but what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean past papers? And he's like, and I don't understand how he how how he didn't get that that he had to do every past paper. And and you know, and that is that is such a helpful thing to do. And it actually worries me because again, my year 12s have just come back from Christmas holidays. I got their mocks next week. And, I've, and I heard some of them say, oh, yeah, I did a couple of past papers over Christmas. And I think, in a couple? They need to do a lot more than that. So I think, you know, um, when, with your year 11s, past papers should be something that they're doing all of, not necessarily in class. But I don't know if they all necessarily get that. And I think it's so important to, if they're not the sort of students that are going to do it at home, then, yes, you do need to do them in class. Um, alongside interspersed with all these wonderful activities that um, are available that are really engaging and, and lovely and there's, so there's all sorts of things you can do but I certainly think um, there's there's I haven't I haven't mastered the uh, how to how to do how to do brilliant revision for a couple of months but I've certainly got lots of resources that are helpful. And I th- again, I think you've hit on another key point there, that at, at some stage, the onus has to come on to the students themselves. And I think, I, I don't know, this might just be our lot, but I think a lot of students don't know how to revise for maths. Mm. And uh, we, we have a, I, I have a lovely year 11 class this year, and a couple of girls in there will, will regularly tell me they spent a couple of hours reading through the revision guide last night on um for maths but it's a waste of time reading through yeah. stuff as, as we've said before you, you've got to just be hammering out question after yeah. question after question reading gets you nowhere so I think when teachers are planning revision lessons a lot of it's all well and good doing something amazing in the classroom but unless students are replicating that at home with actual effective revision not not just putting the hours in it's mm. it's almost a bit of a waste of time so yeah I, th- I think you're absolutely right there and yeah, getting getting kids to know how to revise is, is is as important, if not more important, than the actual revision lessons yeah. that happen in the classroom themselves. Um, if we can turn our attention to the new GCSE, um, and I I was I actually played a little f- a f- well I say fun game I described it as fun with our maths department the other day uh, when your post um, five things you might not know about the new GCSE content uh, came out and possibly by the time this podcast is released you, you, your kind of sequel to that post might be out and that because I thought I knew the new GCSE um, inside and out so I've, I've read absolutely everything going but yeah. even, even within that post there was some surprising changes tr- like truncation decimals that shocked me i didn't have a flipping clue what was going on there when i was when i was reading through that so if we can just talk about the, the new gcse for a second and um, firstly do do you think the gcse as a math teacher do you think it needed reforming and what for you are the most significant differences between this new gcse and and the previous one um i think i think there are uh, there's clearly problems with the gap between gcse and a level because 
you know, whenever we talk about oh, what can we do um, with our students that take A-level, they, they, their algebra skills aren't up to scratch, um, all that kind of thing, you know, that changing GCSE, I suppose, was one way of dealing with that problem. Um, so in that way, I think maybe it did need to change. But I think some of the changes... I, I'm, I don't, I'm not teaching foundation um, year 10 this year, but I think the, some of the foundation changes, I just don't understand them. Yep. Um, when, you know, the original kind of press release uh, two years ago, and it was Gove says, you know, we need all students learning the fundamentals. Yes. But, you know, how are, how are exact truth ratios fundamental <laughs> yeah. for, for a foundation student who will not be doing it at A-level? You know, yes, that's fundamental at A-level, but it's not, it's not fundamental to a... And a lot of the new foundation stuff is not fundamental to a student who will not be doing further study in mathematics. So I think I, I'm a bit unhappy about some of the foundation changes. Um, I think it's great to have more problem-solving. Um, what I don't like about the whole thing is that they've tried to make it harder by introducing more topics when actually it would have been good to introduce more depth but but less breadth. So I think they've yes. taken topics away. No need to add any new topics or, or maybe just added some of the, some new topics but, but definitely taken others away yes. and, and just made the whole thing... The, the structure of the questions, you know, um, well, less structure in the questions and more problem solving. And that would have been fine. So more problem solving, less structure. And uh, and let's get schools to, to devote more time to teaching maths. Um, and they've done that through the, I mean, Progress 8, the, the double weighting of maths was one of the government's main mechanisms for yes. encouraging schools to increase their time on, on maths. And I think... You know, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, we have this problem with students lacking skills at A-level, and that's because they're not mastering topics throughout Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4, and partly that's because we're all working in a rush all the time, um, and also because in some cases our, our curriculums, our, our schemes of work aren't, aren't designed to sort of to allow students to really master topics. So there's lots of things that I think they, we could have looked at, but I don't think adding loads of new topics to the GCSE was particularly helpful. Um, so I think, you know, if you compare us to high performing jurisdictions, you know, the Shanghai and all this, all this, all the countries that, um, or the places in the world that the government wants us to try and, and match, and I'm sure they're not teaching hundreds and hundreds of topics. I think they're teaching things like ratio and proportion really, really well. But I bet they have not got as many topics on their syllabus as we do, because it is quite, you know, when someone asks for a revision list for GCSE, <laughs> see how many topics we teach yeah some of that is really not necessary and, and instead we should have gone for just more depth you're right there and just to pick up on the foundation thing uh, graham cummings um, head of edxl made a really interesting point uh, when i spoke to him a couple of episodes ago that he didn't agree with the foundation changes because they didn't go anywhere and the mm. example he gave to me was factorizing quadratics he said that's all well and good making that a foundation skill but it doesn't lead anywhere. It's not they, they they kind of stop the topic at factorizing quadratics. Yeah. Don't go into any applications. No, uh, no further study of it. It's just there for the sake of being there. And like you said, there tr exact trig ratios. Yeah. Unless it's going to go somewhere, why why bother putting it in? It's yeah. I, I couldn't agree more about the depth side mm. of things. Yeah. Um. So related to that, how are you? How at your school are you preparing students for the new GCSE? Are you doing anything different with your current year nines and year tens than? you might have done in the past with with nines and tens studying for the uh, existing specification 
you know, I don't think at the moment, I think we're a year behind at my current school. So I think um, we have we are still on. We have five lessons a fortnight in year nine. You know, really low number of maths. You joke, five a fortnight, yeah, five one-hour lessons. More, they have more in PE than we do in maths. Oh, so, flipping heck. Oh, I so, nearly swore for the first time on the podcast <laughs> there, but <laughs> that is low. It is low, and I think um, we've got a new head, um, and he's really... He's really keen to kind of um, to to do what he can to improve the math situation. So he is um, he is going to increase the curriculum time we get for maths at the expense of other subjects. So um, you know that's been that's quite difficult. Those yeah. those, those discussions in schools about curriculum are difficult. Definitely. But you know there, there's definitely not enough maths on our on our timetable. You know we have we have um, six per fortnight in every year group apart from year nine that has five, and that's going to go up across the board next year. So. Um, at the moment, we're still very much um, spiral curriculum at Key Stage 3. You know, we kind of do the same things every year. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not really, at the moment, teaching those, you know, the sort of Venn diagrams and stuff like that. People are suggesting that would be nice to go in year nine. At the moment, we're not doing that kind of thing. But I, I think we're kind of a year behind um, and, and we're going to sort of ca- catch up this year. So sort of um, I'm at the moment... Um, writing our scheme of work for year 10 and 11 you know we had a year 10 one but we haven't got a year 11 one and when I joined I said well I'm a little bit worried that we because ha- we haven't got a year 11 one written for the new GCSE how do we know it's all going to fit in you know we I, I don't I think you need to have planned it all from the beginning because I don't want to run out of time so you know I'm I'm kind of working on some of that stuff at the moment I'm very fortunate position I'm a, a lead practitioner which means I get um, a few less um, I, I, t- I have a little bit less timetable time in lessons, so I have a bit of time where I can think about these things. So I guess at some point this year, I need to work with the Key Stage 3 coordinator and think about what we can do to kind of um, get our students ready a bit more in Year 9 for the new spec. But at, at the moment, I think we're a little bit on the back foot. But I'm right in saying, aren't I, that you've got wonderful coverage of the new GCSE topics on your on your blog. I know that's certainly become my kind of first port of call for uh, if I want to know or find some resources on some of these these new GCSE topics. Yes, I'm certainly um, I'm, I'm I'm all over the new GCSE. <laughs> I really am doing everything I can. And in fact, I'm trying to write the second post on these sort of five things that you may not know. And I'm finding it. I found for the first time um, a difference in exam boards and I think this is really interesting because I just assumed that all the exam boards yeah. were the same and I, I, I think at the moment I found something that OCR have included and AQA haven't um, and I'm can you not, tell us what? Can you tell us what that is? Let, let me uh, let me speak to OCR. but I will I will um, publish a post on that soon. But uh, so it it looks like. Um, that's the it may it may be the only thing, yeah. but it does you know it's a sort of thing that might start making people um, I don't know go towards one example over another. I mean you know we don't want to go for an example that's including harder content sure. that that doesn't need to be in there. So I think um, I, I need to find out about that. But so it's amazing that even though I feel like I am incredibly knowledgeable about the new UCC specification I still don't know everything and I'm still finding for example that my textbook for new UCC has stuff in that actually shouldn't be in there so the textbooks aren't that aren't that useful at the moment because I think there's some things in there that need to change so I think a lot of you know if I'm a little bit a little bit clueless I think there must be a lot of teachers in the country who are a lot more clueless than me because they're doing a lot less reading on it so just think we're all all of us are kind of doing our best aren't we 
Yeah. It's wor- it's worrying though, isn't it? And that's <laughs> that's why that's why I wanted to to speak to the the heads of maths at AQAO, CRO, and Excel, just to try and get a few more answers. Because like the bottom line is, our current year tens are going to be sitting this in mm. what well, well, it's not even eighteen months away now, is it? And there are certain topics that I'm not entirely sure how they're going to be covered, how they're going to be assessed, what how f- deep into it we need to go. We don't, as you say, that it seems to be the case that there are some subtle and also some not so subtle differences between the exam boards that are coming to light. And I've, ne- I've never known a situation like it where such high stakes got in, in this kind of first sitting of this new GCSE and yet such major uncertainty about it. Yeah, and actually to the examples credit, I think they are, you know, they're doing they're doing what they can, aren't they? Like yeah. AQA's resources are fantastic. Yes. Um, um, I, I don't, I haven't looked at OCRs in detail or Excel, but I, I, the only reason I look at AQA's a lot is because they, they do it, they're very good at supporting um, teachers through Twitter. So AQA, if you have a question, you can sort of tweet them a quick question. Can you just confirm this? And they will reply straight away and they're really good at that and all the examples I think are doing are doing quite a lot and I think they're in very difficult circumstances and they haven't necessarily been given as much information as they should have or as much support from the DfE so I think Having someone that's moved to education from banking where things were done very differently, I'm often quite horrified by the way things operate in education in general. And I think this is an example of where um, I just hope that things are a bit different for the new A-level, but I doubt they will be. I, I suspect that new A-level is going to cause us all kinds of problems. I, 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 unfortunately, I completely agree with, agree with that. <laughs> um, can I ask on, that, on the new GCSE, what what... Can you can you go as far as to say which way your school's leaning towards uh, which board you'd think of going uh, for? Well, um, they already they've chosen before I joined they chose AQA and they did that based on they got some the original um, sample assessment materials the ones yes. that were kind of all a bit hard they yeah. got um, we got some students to sit them. Um, and give their opinion on them. Um, and the students all preferred the style of the AQA one. Now, my, I've not, I've always been an Edexcel person. My previous school was all Edexcel. My new school is currently Edexcel for year 11 and for A level. Um, and, but what I like about AQA is that their original marketing, and I haven't really heard much about this recently, but when they originally started trying to sort of sell their, um, their, their, uh, their GCSE spec was they talked about how they would have less wordy questions yes so, and I really like that because you know we take a student who has a weak um, you know maybe a EAL student who has weak um, knowledge of English they can be assessed on that in their English GCSE in their maths GCSE I just want to know how good they are at maths I yes. don't I don't want um, literacy to be a barrier um, to them being able to demonstrate their knowledge of maths. So I really like the thinking behind let's let's cut out as many words as we can and just make this really easy to understand, not to, not to simplify the maths, but to simplify the, the, the words used in the paper. I love that idea. So for that reason, I was quite pleased when I joined um, my new school and found out that they'd chosen to go with AQA. Perfect. Um, if we can just for a last couple of questions, I've, I've kept you for a long time here. I'm sorry, sorry about right. this, Joe. Um, I just want to talk a little bit um, about the job of teaching itself. Um, because a question's come in here again on Twitter from Leanne Shaw, um, AHS, and she says, um, how do you find time to work so hard and balance it with family pressures while still enjoying your job? Because I'm right in saying you've got, is it two two children you've got? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I've got yeah. a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> so, yeah, how... 
how do you manage the kind of work-life balance? Uh, because you've, you've said here that you, you spend r- roughly an hour planning yeah. your lesson. So I'm doing the maths on that, thinking like there's not that many hours left left in the yeah, day. So um, how do you do it? Think about, I mean, my timetable is, is I, I teach um, a lot of A-level um, and I teach year 10, 11. So, yeah, I do spend a lot of time planning lessons. And I do at school, if you ask my colleagues, they probably describe me as a little bit stressy. <laughs> kind of often, um, if the photocopy is not working and I lose a couple of minutes, then I am I am a little bit um, anxious about things like that because I, I feel like I have to use, I, I, I don't have time. To, I don't have time to wait for a photocopy to be fixed. You know? um, I, I, let's see, I, I'm not, I, the blog thing. So I've 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 made a decision to add to my workload by doing by writing a blog. Um, but if you think about um, the fact that I had children, and and when you have children, your life changes, and suddenly you're at home every evening. Whereas I, I used to go out a bit more. I used to have a social life. So you know, the time that I spend on my blog is generally um, after the children have gone to bed. Um, when I used to maybe watch telly, I don't really watch much TV anymore because I'm working on my blog or I'm marking and stuff like that. So, you know, that's where, I mean, that time has come directly from what previously used to be a few hours in the evening, kind of sitting on the sofa or maybe occasionally going out. That time is now me on Twitter, on my blog or, or doing some schoolwork. Um, to be honest, you know, people will ask me how I manage to fit everything in. I don't do anything domestic. I am awful. At, I, I shove food in the oven. That is my that's how much cooking I do. Um, I, I live next door to my in-laws. They have like an annex on our house, um, which is incredibly helpful for the fact that my mother-in-law does my ironing for me. Which oh, is, nice. Yeah, so things Very like that. That saves a lot of time. Um, so, yeah, I, I do... Um, you know, I don't want people to think that I'm some kind of, you know, I, I'm some kind of Wonder Woman managing to do all this stuff because actually, I, like I say, I don't do much domestic stuff. I'm not into cooking and, and I do very minimal cleaning. Um, I, um, I, I managed to, I managed to make it work by, by blogging kind of um, in the evenings. And um, yeah, the thing that's a killer is the the marking normally. So I try and get all my lesson planning done at school if I can. I do, like I said, I get more free periods than a lot of people because I'm a lead practitioner. Although often those free periods are taken up by observing teachers in other lesson in other subjects and giving them feedback. Um, I run training. So for example, on Tuesday this week, I'm running training on pace for NQTs. So I do. Yeah, I do sort of have quite a lot that takes up my time. I'm not actually now. I'm talking. Now I'm thinking about it. I actually don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any? Do you have any? Because this is something I'm wrestling with at the moment. Do you have any techniques for switching off and stopping thinking about work, or is it is it always on your mind? Um, no, but I don't really. I'm not the sort of person that I, I'm. I'm fine being um, term time, hundred percent work. I mean, I actually, no, I say that, but you know, at the weekends I'll occasionally go out and do non-worky things. Um, I am, I am, you know, the, the, the thing about teaching, and, I, you know, it takes a bit of getting used to, is that, yeah, I get, get the holidays. And, yeah, admittedly, over Christmas, I probably spent about three days on schoolwork, and most of that was marking mocks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you think about the fact that over half term, I can chill out a bit, and over these holidays, I'll be able to chill out a little bit. So I don't mind being kind of switched on and, and busy all the time during term time. I think I can kind of cope with that. And also, I, I do enjoy it, I suppose... If, if I really hated being a maths teacher, then then I would stop, you know. Um, and I if I then and I wouldn't enjoy, you know. I hate marking, but I do like quite quite like seeing how my students have done the test. You know what I mean? So yes. I can I can hate the process of oh I don't want to spend three hours marking tonight. But at the same time, while I'm marking, I'm like oh look he got that question right. And, you know. So actually, it's not 
the worst thing in the world um, and that makes it bearable and that's how that's why we all keep going because actually you know even though it's it's a lot of work it's work that we find interesting oh that's a nice nice positive way of thinking about it i like, I like that um last proper question from me um what what do you wish you'd known when you first started teaching or to put it another way what would you include on a pgce uh, or a gtp or whatever teacher training course that perhaps wasn't uh, that you didn't have access to when you were first training um well I, as we were talking about earlier i definitely need to talk about organizing resources and lessons i mean i didn't do that at all at my nqt um and it's so useful so you know every time you plan a lesson you save it all in a really sensible structure so you can find it in future um i think i think i'd recommend i would recommend joining twitter it is a little bit time consuming but it doesn't you know if you're, if you're someone that commutes by bus or train then that's your twitter time isn't it you know there's um there's i, I think the inspiration and the enthusiasm and the support from teachers on twitter is something that that i didn't have early on in my teaching career and i think it would have i think it would have been brilliant um, and I think the other thing is, and it's something that's I often think of as a parent. When you're when you have young children, things get tough all the time, and and you have to remember that it's all temporary. So you have to think, oh, my my daughter won't brush her teeth at the moment. It's temporary. It might go on for a week. It might go on for a month. Um, but at some point, she will start brushing her teeth again. And you know, oh, she's not sleeping at all at night. You know, it might go on for a year. It might go on for another couple of months. But it's going to end at some point. And I think you have to think about that when things get tough when you're a teacher. You have to think, well, look, I, it's, it's, it's um, half. It's been half a term now. It's now what six weeks into the term. I can't cope with this workload anymore. I just don't have enough time. I'm not going to be able to to get through all this. But you just have to remind yourself it's temporary, and and that's the nice thing about teaching. It will it will stop, and yes, it will then come back again. But you know, it is. And and if you hate one of your classes, you won't have them forever. You might have them for a whole year. It's a long time, but not forever. So you just have to think. You know, everything in teaching. Is temporary. So if you're finding something hard, then it will get better. Oh, lovely advice. Lovely advice, that. Um, so to finish, um, this is the feature I'm calling the big three now. Um, Joe, if someone was to visit your blog for the first time, um, what three pages or what three areas would you direct them towards? Right, okay. Um, I would... Um... Let's think. My my resource page is definitely, and I'm going to go for my AS resource page. So this is the um, it lists um, resources for C1 and C2, and I think I don't think it's visited huge amounts. So I think people don't really know that these resources are there, and there's not a huge amount of places on the internet people can go for A level resources. So I think that would be my first one. It would be like if you teach C1 and C2 and you're planning a lesson, do have a look at my page because I've got so much good stuff on there. Um, so that's my first one. I think my second one would be my new GCSE support page that you mentioned. So I've got a page that lists the new topics on GCSE and I've got links to resources for those pages, uh, for those topics. So I think that that page, I think um, people should find very useful. Um, and then for my third one, I think I'll go for a, a, one of my blog posts. And I'm going to go for my most the, my most read blog post, which is one about different ways of finding a highest common factor. Because I really am, to me, it's very important that teachers um, are constantly thinking about whether they have the subject knowledge um, that they need to teach maths really well. And I think that just because you can, you know everything at GCSE and everything at A-level, it doesn't necessarily mean you have perfect subject knowledge. Because actually, something like highest common factor, 
I used to teach it using the Venn method and now I teach it using a totally different method. And I wonder whether teachers know all the different methods and they don't necessarily need to know them, but they, they should be interested. You know, there are about six different ways of finding the highest common factor of two numbers. Um, and it's interesting. And even if it doesn't change the way you teach it, this is the sort of thing that if your subject knowledge is really good, you can still learn more. You can still develop your subject knowledge by finding out about things like that. So my highest common factors blog post, which is my most read blog post on there, um, is one where I list all these different ways of finding the highest common factor. And I think that any math teacher hopefully will find it interesting and they will learn from it. Like you've, you've hooked me in with that one because I'm, I'm Venn diagrams all the way for uh, that, but you, you've, intrigued, you've intrigued me there. <laughs> um, I'll just give you a shout out as well to a couple of things that, that you do that um, we haven't had a chance to discuss here, but I think people need to know about. Uh, the first is the uh, Teaching and Learning Working Party that you, you host on Twitter. Can you just give us a, just a, a couple of sentences about what that's about and how teachers can get involved with that? Oh, about the Maths TLP? Yes. Yeah, so that's um, Sunday night and that's... Um, Ed Southall, who is at Solve My Maths, that was his um, his initiative. And it's every Sunday night, um, teachers will come on and ask, ask for help. So they might say, oh, I'm teaching um, simultaneous equations to year nine next week. Um, has anyone got any good resources? And then people will reply with their favorite resources. Um, or someone might go on and say, look, I'm really struggling with this class. I, I can't get them to, to uh, focus on their revision. What can I do? So there's a whole load of questions, all different types of questions, some about how to teach, some about resources, um, some about um, oh, how do you how do you approach interventions, stuff like that. And, and people come on and ask questions. And what's lovely is that loads of people will help them. So people come on and tweet their ideas in response and then everyone gets to see all those ideas. And it's it's absolutely brilliant. I really love it. It's exactly what collaboration should be like. You know, it's it's lots and lots of people saying, how can we help this person? You know, they, they need help with their teaching. What can we do to help them? And it's really, really great. So if anyone wants to get involved, it's just the hashtag is MathsTLP. You need a Twitter account. You just need to uh, uh, type in that hashtag into the search um, the search function on Twitter and then and then join in if you want to. And I think I think you'll perhaps appreciate this more more than anyone else coming from a, a different career path. That it's a unique thing about teaching, isn't it? That that collaborative nature, and, and it never ceases to amaze me that you'll get teachers who've spent hours creating a resource, and they're just willing just to give it away, or just willing to just give advice and give time to to other teachers. It's it's a lovely thing about for all the faults that and all the tough things about our profession. That's one of the truly unique, nice things I think about it. And it's yeah, the, lovely, yeah, really good. And I think what's interesting is that the it's it's so sad that people all over the country are um are reinventing the wheel you know there's people who are writing every school writing their own scheme of work for GCSE yes. so the more people that share you know it just makes so much sense to share things when I make a resource I don't make a huge amount myself but when I do make a new resource you know I want people to use it because you've put so much time into that and, it, and it's so lovely when someone says you know what I used your resource today and it went really well it's the yes. feeling so people really should and it's a shame that there's probably people who make resources um, and they never share them because, you know, they're not they're not on Twitter or they don't think, oh, I should load it up to Tez. And, and that's really a shame. You know, there's probably millions of great resources that we'll never see. 
Uh, and the final thing um, that I just want to draw listeners' attention to is your, your Pret Homeworks website. Now, I, I don't think this gets enough attention. I think this is one of the best things that I've ever seen. And I, every time I give a talk somewhere, I always chuck a mention in, in, uh, of this. So can you just, let's get this out to a wider audience now, Joe. This is the opportunity. So can you just tell people, um, just, just as briefly as you like, about, about these Pret Homeworks, where the idea came from and where people can access these? This was um, la- the summer before last, and um, I saw a tweet from Catherine. On she, her Twitter handle is at Dirt Expert, and she is um, a teacher who I believe is kind of based up in Newcastle or uh, Sunderland, Sunderland, something like that. She is um, a lovely, very creative teacher, and she tweeted a picture of this new homework uh, format that she was thinking about using. Um, and I happened to spot that tweet and I said, well, that's a lovely format because what, what it does is it's got, it's an A4 bit of paper where you've got um, split into five sections. You've got a literacy section, which has the keywords for a topic. Um, and the way that Catherine uses it is she gets her students to learn the spellings of those keywords. Of course, you don't have to do that. You could get them to go off and find out the definitions um, or there's all sorts of things you could do with this. There's a literacy section. There's a memory section, which will have something that the students need to memorize for that topic so it's normally a formula something like that um, there is a, um, a big practice section with some practice questions so that's what you'd normally get on a homework so that's kind of the standard element um, there is a stretch section so it's a couple of extension questions for that topic and then finally there is a, a research section now the research the research section of the homework is what it kind of when I saw that, it reminded me of takeaway homeworks, which were quite big at the time. Yes. Um, and, and that sort of meant that this is a homework where we're not just getting you to do some practice, but we're getting you to go off and do something else. Like, for example, um, if it's a homework on sequences, maybe go and find out something about Fibonacci and write a paragraph or come and talk to the class about it, something like that. So there's some really... Um, it's a really nice format and it's, it's really varied and the way Catherine works it is that she will get them to come in after she, they've after they've done the prep homework and they'll do a quick spelling test they might do a memory test and she has all these kind of set formats of how these things work so she's got into a real routine with her classes now when I saw her first tweet that I thought that's a great format and I, I started um, I said to her, oh, we should get some more of these. We only had four that she'd made. And I said, well, why don't we get some more of these? And then people might want to use them. Um, and in the end, sort of with her permission, I, I sort of said, well, I'm going to put them on my website. So I put them on Resourceaholic. And then they were being, they were all on Google Drive. And they were being downloaded so much, Google Drive couldn't cope with them. So I had to move them onto their own website. So I set up um, prethomework.weebly.com. And um, I've only made probably about eight of them myself. I, I, there's, there's loads on there now. There's loads. There's over 150. I can't remember how many there are. It's, it's, no one sent me any recently. I come in little flurries. Every now and then I'll sort of suddenly get 10 of them by email. Um, but, yeah, so, um, so yeah, people, people send them to me. So people make them for their classes, and then they send them to me, and I load them up to the website, and then other people can use them. And people that use them um and there are some people who people on twitter whose opinion i really value so the they some of those people say that they work really really well mm. now i don't even use prep homeworks because they're mostly well, a lot of them are key stage three and i don't teach key stage three but i have used i used one recently with an a-level class and it was really good and i can you know i think they're brilliant at the moment i'm just really the collator of prep homeworks you know i didn't invent them and, and I don't really use them, but um, people who use them absolutely love them and say that their students, the, the important thing is they say their students like them. Their students like doing these homeworks. 
Well, yeah, it's, I think they're absolutely fantastic. And as you say, there's, there's, there's Key Stage 3, but there's also GCSE ones, and there's a load available. Yeah, a load available. Like, um, oh, like Tom Benison, on, um, Dr. Benison on Twitter, he um, he started making A-level ones. They're fantastic. And then I got, I think I've got quite a few A-level on there now. Um, and um, it's, a, it's an interesting idea because my A-level homeworks tend to be um, either, you know, do a bit more practice from the textbook or I might give them some exam questions. And it's really nice to see some more original um, and creative A-level homeworks. Um, and, and, yeah, they work really well at A-level, actually, because, like I say, that's the only one I've used was an A-level one. And I was surprised by how well it worked. And, yeah, some teachers develop, have now got a routine of all their homeworks are prep homeworks. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. It's been incredibly successful, and I can't really take credit for it. All I do is um, collect them and shove them on the website, and I uh, publicise them, so I tweet about them. Well, let, let's hope that people listening to this firstly get on there and download them all, as I have, and then let's get the Pret Home at Revolution started here, and, and get let's get the entire Key Stage Three, Four, and A level syllabus mm. covered with them, because as you say, they, they just they're an interesting, challenging, and engaging homework. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a yeah. massive fan. I'm a massive yeah. fan. Well, Joe, I've kept you far too long here. So uh, just to say, thanks so much for your time. Um, I'll put links to all the things that we've talked about um, uh, on the podcast notes and on my blog. And just thank you on behalf of the teaching community for, for all the work you do, sharing your resources. Your, your Math Gems posts are my kind of... I, I genu- this is how sad my life is. I genuinely look forward to the release <laughs> of those. It's one of the highlights of my weeks when they come out. Because as you say, it's a nightmare keeping on top of Twitter. And they just, they pick out, the five kind of essential things that you need to keep an eye on that week and they're, they're wonderful so thanks on behalf of everyone and personally thank thank you for taking the time for this podcast and for all the wonderful work you do cheers thank you. Jack. i appreciate it thank you phew so there you go apologies the interview was so long but i really struggled to find anything rubbish to cut out I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. I always enjoy talking to fellow teachers. I find it reassuring when they struggle with the same things I do, and I always pick up a few ideas. My big takeaway from speaking to Joe was a wonderful AS resources page, which is simply incredible, and will be revolutionising a few Year 12 maths lessons in Bolton in the coming weeks. I will link to that and all the other resources we talked about in the show notes. But now it's time for everyone's favourite feature largely because it doesn't involve me in any way. Yes, it's the podcast puzzle. And for that, let me hand you back to Joe Morgan. Right, this is a puzzle that you could use with your students, and in particular it's helpful for the new GCSE, um, because um, students will have to do systematic uh, listing. So the puzzle is this. Um, If you were to list all the numbers from 1 to 1,000 inclusive, what digit would come up the most, and what digit would come up the least? A lovely puzzle for you and your students to try out there. Well, all that's left for me to do is to once again thank my guest, Joe Morgan, from the amazing Resourceaholic. And thanks also to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music you've heard throughout the show. For comments and questions, or just to say hello, you can find me on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or on email via teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. 
Please subscribe to this podcast or on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform. And if you could help spread the word about this podcast or just give us a rating, ideally a good one, that would be hugely appreciated. I will return next episode with another dose of mathematical goodness. So take care and bye.